Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Well, welcome to North Main Street Church of God. I'm Pastor Brandon, one of the pastors on staff here. And um, we start a new series today. Actually, at the beginning of the new year, we started a whole theme for the year. Uh, Ironically, we felt God was calling us to a year of peace. The theme for this year is peace. And this theme came about actually two and a half, almost three years ago. God has a great sense of humor as he helps us to plan out things and to look toward the future and uh, give us direction. Uh, He knows quite a bit more than we do about what we're going to be going through at each and every step of the way. And I I find it interesting that this year's theme was peace. As much as I found it interesting, last year's theme was joy. (laughs) We are working through the fruit of the Spirit as we read through Scripture. Our challenge every year for the past three years is to read through the Bible. And we've had a challenge as a church together for us to read through the Bible together. And uh, we have reading guides. And uh, since this year's theme is peace, we actually gave everybody a highlighter, a blue highlighter, to highlight evidence of peace from Genesis to Revelation as we read through the Bible this year. Last year, we gave you a yellow highlighter to highlight evidence of joy as you read through the Scripture. And of course, the year previous to that was love, and we gave you a pink highlighter. Uh, Patience is actually silver for next year. We'll figure that out as we get there, all right? I'm not sure. Maybe a, a pencil will work, so... Today we start a new series though, uh, as we come into February, and this series is entitled Peace in the Wilderness. And as you've been reading through the scripture, if you've been reading with us, we've come to the wilderness narrative of the Israelites. And those of you that may not be too familiar with your Bibles, if you look at the first five books of the Bible, it is chock full of basically the history of the beginnings of the Uh, the people of God known as the Israelites or the Hebrew peoples or the Jewish people. They consider that, the Jewish people do, the Torah or the law. And the Torah is comprised of Genesis all the way through Deuteronomy. I'm going to be looking at Numbers chapter 9 today. And you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles there if you want to. Again, learning how to navigate the scripture is one of the reasons we do this challenge every year to read through the Bible. Uh, It's made much easier with electronic devices, you just have to hit a button or two, and you're there. If you do the old-fashioned way, you just have to flip a few pages over from the beginning, okay? We're going to get there in just a moment. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. I usually preach from that uh, because it's an easier read. It's easier to understand, okay? So today, today's sermon is entitled, Peace in the Passover. We come to Numbers chapter 9, and we're going to talk about the Passover. What is the Passover? Well, I'll explain that in just a moment. But I want to talk to you more importantly about what it means to remember. What it means to remember the past, to honor the past. Now, it doesn't mean the past is always honorable, or nor is it something you always want to remember. But there are certain aspects of our past that are important to remember. 
And as we get into our passage of scripture today, I'll explain that a little further. But I came across this story I thought was fitting for this morning because it's something I can relate to as I'm getting older. It's a story of an elderly couple who were beginning to forget things around their house. How many of you do that? Right, you get up from one room, you go to the other, and you forget why you went there. And you even backtrack, and you forget why you went back in the first place. All right? So this couple was afraid that this could begin to be dangerous, or this could be the beginnings of something really bad. So, uh, so they decided to go see their doctor. And they went to the doctor, and their physician told them that many people, as they gain a few more years on them, find it useful to write themselves little reminders, okay? So sticky notes everywhere, right? So you don't forget. The couple thought this sounded wonderful, and they left a doctor's office very pleased with the advice. And when they got home, the wife said, dear, will you please go to the kitchen and get me a dish of ice cream? And uh, why don't you write that down so you don't forget it? You know, we're prone to forget when we go to another room. Oh, that's nonsense, said the husband. I can remember a dish of ice cream. Well, said the wife, I'd also like some strawberries on it if you wouldn't mind. Maybe you should write that down too because, I mean, ice cream, strawberries, you might forget the strawberries. Why don't you write that down? Oh, don't be silly. I'm not going to do that. A dish of ice cream and some strawberries, I can remember that. Okay, dear, but if you don't mind, Add a little bit of whipped cream on the top. I mean, not too much, not too little, just a dollop. Okay, just give me a little bit. And, okay, now you should seriously write that down. Seriously. Honey, ice cream, strawberries, whipped cream, got it. So with that in mind, the husband went away into the kitchen. And the door went closed behind him. And sometime later, he came from the kitchen with a plate of bacon and eggs. And the wife looked at the plate, she glanced up at her husband with her head shaken, and she says, I knew you wouldn't get it right. Where's the toast? Ha ah. <laughs> All of that to say, we tend to be forgetful. We tend to be forgetful. See, the Israelites knew this in the Old Testament, especially Moses, who wrote the book of Numbers in Deuteronomy, we believe. And we believe in his writing of these things, he put things in place so that we would remember that their generations and generations after them would remember the promises of God, the commands of God, the teachings of God, and the ways of God. So that as generation came and went and another generation came and went, that they wouldn't forget. But see... We have the perfect benefit of hindsight being 2020. We can look back over the course of not only the Torah, but the historical documents. 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles. And we can see this atrocious attempt at living for God or, quite frankly, rejecting God altogether. And so we come to this passage today, this passage that I think is really intriguing. So the first Passover service... And what is the Passover? It is a ceremony of remembering. So the first Passover was in Egypt. The Israelites had been there for some 400 years. They'd grown 
so large that the Pharaoh at that time began to get concerned that the Israelites were outnumbering the Egyptians and that if they wanted to revolt, they could overthrow the Pharaoh and the Egyptian kingdom and their armies. And so they started throwing babies into the Nile. This is where we get the story of Moses being put in a basket, floated down the river Nile, and he lands on the doorstep of the Pharaoh. Pharaoh's daughter picks him up and raises him as her own. But then years and years later, after now Moses is in his 80s, God's hearing the cries of his people in Egypt in bondage. And he calls Moses, who had been raised by Pharaoh's daughter, and about the age of 40, killed an Egyptian soldier, fled for his life into the wilderness of Midian, which is basically the western part of Saudi Arabia today, and he began to tend sheep. He found a wife, Zipporah, his father-in-law Jethro, which reminds me of the Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> Sorry, thinking back to my childhood. And uh, he tends Jethro's sheep. And while he's out there in the middle of the desert, a burning bush is occurring right in front of him. My guess is it happened from time to time with lightning strikes, those kind of things. But he sits there for a while, tending the sheep. He sees this bush on fire. I mean, it's intriguing enough. But he notices something after sitting there for a while. The bush isn't being consumed by the flames. Surely it would have been getting smaller and smaller and smaller. I mean, bushes burn up quickly in the desert. It's dry and arid, like a tinderbox. And so he approaches this bush, probably a little trepidatious at first, not sure what he's getting into, but just trying to see what's going on here. Why is this thing continuing to burn? And it's not getting any smaller. And then the voice comes from that. I don't know about you. I'd be a little scared, right? Have you ever heard a talking bush other than in, you know, Monty Python videos? Sorry. You know what I'm talking about. And so here, this bush is burning, he comes closer, and a voice emanates from the bush and says, take off your shoes for the place you're standing is holy ground. So he takes off his sandals, still not sure who he's talking to. And the voice tells him, I want you to go set my people free. I've heard their cries. And it takes about five times to convince Moses to go. How many times does it take you as a parent to convince your kids to take out the trash, to make your bed, to clean your room, to help out around the house, right? And through a series of questions and through a series of pushbacks, Moses finally relents and he goes to Egypt. And he tells Pharaoh, my God, Yahweh, has sent me. And he told me to tell you to let my people go. Pharaoh says, okie dokie. And all, you know, that's the end of the story, right? No, 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 no. Pharaoh says, who do you think you are? No, it's not happening. And then Moses says, okay, I figured this would happen. God kind of clued me in on this. He said you'd be stubborn. So here's what's going to happen. There's going to be plagues coming. It's not going to be pretty. It's actually going to get really, really ugly until you finally relent and let God's people go. We know there were 10 plagues. I'm not going to call on my students today and ask you what the 10 plagues are in order, but that was one of the tests they had to do. All right? The last plague was the worst. 
It's a plague of death. And so here's what God had the people of Israel to do, the Israelites. He told Moses to have each of the families to get a perfect spotless lamb, to sacrifice it, not as a burn offering, but as a sin offering. Burn offerings, you'd burn everything up on the pile. They were to eat the meat of this lamb, and nothing was to be left by morning. They were to take the blood of the lamb with a hyssop branch, which is much like a paintbrush today, if you look at it, and they were to dip it in the blood of the lamb, and they were to put the blood on the doorposts of the house and on the lintel, the crossbeam above the top. Think about the symbolism here. This isn't even what the sermon's about today. The doorpost and the crossbeam. Just saying. And Jesus, not Jesus, Moses tells them to do this. Because he says the death angel is going to be sweeping through town tonight. In any house that doesn't have the mark of the blood on the doorpost and the lintel, the firstborn will die in that house. Well, guess what? Pharaoh had a firstborn son. He didn't get the message about the blood. And my guess is, even if he did, he wouldn't have done it. Because his heart was already hardened to the things of God. That was the first Passover. The first Passover was the blood of the lamb on the doorposts and the lentil. It was eating in the meal, the meal of lamb meat, the bitter herbs. They weren't to break the bones at all of this lamb. And that night, they were to be dressed and ready because by morning it was going to happen they were going to be let go because pharaoh would be completely broken or so we thought so he wakes up his son's dead the pharaoh says get out take your people and leave and so they do they hightail it out of there So now let's flash forward. The Red Sea has happened. They've crossed across. They're now in the wilderness of Sinai. And they get closer and closer to the promised land, which is Canaan, which would be where modern day Israel is. And it's now about a year later, after the blood on the doorpost and the lintel. And we pick up the story in Numbers chapter 9. A year after Israel's departure from Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai. In the first month of that year, he said, tell the Israelites to celebrate the Passover at the prescribed time, at twilight on the 14th day of the first month. Be sure to follow all my decrees and regulations concerning this celebration. Do you want to know why Easter is not on the same Sunday every year? It's because of this. We do Easter Just after Passover. Passover is done based on this calendar. So there are some some years, it's really early, like early March. And there are some years it's in mid-April. Okay, It's based on this calendar. That's just FYI in case you were curious. So Moses told the people to celebrate the Passover in the wilderness of Sinai as twilight fell on the 14th day of the month. And they celebrated the festival there just as the Lord had commanded Moses. But some of the men had been ceremonially defiled by touching a dead body, so they couldn't celebrate the Passover on that day. Okay, let's back up real quick. You had the book of Leviticus and Numbers, the book of Exodus, if you go a little bit further back. They had all of these different types of laws. There were certain laws that meant that you would be considered ceremonially unclean to celebrate any kind of festival or worship before the Lord. If you became ceremonially unclean, 
By no fault of your own in some cases, you would have to go through a ritual seven-day, mostly seven-day stint, and then a ritual cleansing in, in what was called a mikvah. A mikvah is basically what we consider our current-day baptistries, where you'd step into the water, do a ceremonial cleansing, blah, blah, blah. That's how they did this. So there were some guys who had touched a dead body. When, when you have a, over a million people in the desert, you're probably going to have older people die and, and deaths happen, or animals. Maybe it was your donkey, your favorite donkey. It died, and you had to go dig a hole and bury it. Whatever the case is, they had touched a dead body. We aren't sure what kind of body it was, but they were ceremonially unclean. And so now, what do they do? They can't celebrate the Passover. And this is commanded by God through Moses. They have to do this. So they couldn't celebrate the Passover on that day. They came to Moses and Aaron that day, and they said, Hey, we've become ceremonially unclean by touching a dead body, but why should we be prevented from presenting the Lord's offerings at the proper time with the rest of the Israelites? It means we're kind of cut off from community. We can't celebrate with community in the way that we otherwise normally would be able to. And Moses answered, wait here until I've received instructions from the Lord. I wish most pastors would do this. Sometimes I don't even do this, right? People come to me with different things, and, and it's not an off-putting thing to say, let me pray about that. A lot of pastors are problem solvers, like myself, and we like to jump right in there and give you a solution right away. But Moses knew better. Not all the time, but more often than not, because he was so in tune and walked with God and met God face to face, he knew that he should consult with the one who had all the answers. And so he did. And he comes back. This is what the Lord's reply to Moses was. Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. If any of the people now or in the future generations are ceremonially unclean at Passover time because of touching a dead body or if they are on a journey and cannot be present at the ceremony, they may still celebrate the Lord's Passover. They must offer the Passover sacrifice one month later at twilight on the 14th day of the second month. They must eat the Passover lamb at the time with bitter salad greens and bread made without yeast. They must not leave any of the lamb until the next morning, and they must not break any of its bones. They must follow all the normal regulations concerning the Passover. And again, here we have all of the different elements represented in the Passover. They all mean something significantly different. My hope is this year at North Main, we will do the Passover meal again, or what's called the Seder meal, and tie that to Christ like we did a couple years ago. Did you know none of Jesus' bones were broken on the cross? And it was customary, if you hung there long enough, it was merciful for your executor to come along and break your legs so you would suffocate faster. And as they came to Jesus that day, they saw he was already dead. That's why they shoved a spear into his side, just to make sure they didn't break a bone in his body. Sorry, I'm digressing. Verse 13, but those who neglect to celebrate the Passover at the regular time, even though they're ceremonially clean and not away on a trip, will be cut off from the community of Israel. So this is really serious. We think it's just a meal. What's the big deal? Do you know what the meal represented? The meal represented something significant in the history of the Israelites. It was God's provision for them to let them go from bondage and slavery in Egypt. He was their deliverer. And when you forget that he is your deliverer, guess what happens? You look for something else. 
And when you look for something else, you open yourself up to all of these different things that are not going to deliver you, but rather hold you back in bondage again. Basically, you'll end up back in Egypt. It is a part of the community of faith to remember and honor certain traditions so we don't forget, like the Israelites. We have a perfect picture of what happens when you forget. We call it spiritual senility, or at least that's what I call it. And it can be devastating. Those who neglect to do this when they can do it, will be cut off from the community. Because basically, you're saying, I don't want to have anything to do with this. I don't want to have anything to do with this. See, this is a problem within, uh, uh, let me digress for a minute. I think this is a problem within our modern day church in America today. Everything's got to be new and brand spanking this and that. And it's got to all have all the bells and whistles, lights and flashes. And I think if anything this last year has taught us, it's not about any of that. Never has been, never will be. It's not about what you want, it's about what he wants. And that's the hard thing to chew on. Because what he wants is always best. What we want isn't always good. I love to look back at the first chapter of the Bible. It's still a learning tool for me when I go back to it. Because, and I've said, you've heard me say this before, is God's good best? Yes. So at the end of each day, God's, God looked over all that he created and he said, it's good. God's good is best. Our best is not as good as God's good. Does that make sense? Did that come out right? Because I'll tell you what, and I digress again. I was talking about Gallagher this morning. I said he smashed pumpkins. And I thought I said watermelon. All right. Nobody knows what, who Gallagher is? Okay, just, all right, all right, all right. Anywho, so let me finish this off here. Uh, they will be cut off from the community of Israel if they fail to present the Lord's offering at the proper time. They will suffer the consequences of their guilt. And if foreigners living among you want to celebrate the Passover to the Lord, they must follow these same decrees and regulations. The, laws, the same laws apply to both native-born Israelites and to foreigners living among you. So what is the takeaway? Really quick. There's peace in remembering the past. Why is there peace in remembering the past? Well, there's peace in remembering of the past for several reasons. The first is remembering the past can bring the present into focus. Let me say that again. Remembering the past can bring the present into focus. Why can it do that? Because if I remember where I've come from, if I remember what's happened there are certain things I know I don't want to repeat again. Amen. Yes? Amen. We don't want to go back to the same old feeding trough of slop that we grew up with in some cases. And in other cases, we want to honor what we grew up with in certain instances in our lives. I call those mile markers along the way. Some mile markers are, are, are tragic, but other mile markers in life pinpoint us in the direction of Christ. But I, here's the thing. I'm going to tell you, some of those bad things that have happened, though not caused or created by God to hold you down, can be used by God to form you into the creation that he desires for you to be. See, have you ever heard, uh, have you ever seen the chisel by the, uh, the skit guys? I should have these two come and do it, Pete Koopas and, 
And uh, what's your name? Dave Wilson. <laughs> Dave Pittman. I told you, I shouldn't be preaching today. It's been a rough morning for me. That one cup of coffee didn't cut it, all right? Um, they've done that skit several times before. Not here, but I've seen video of it. But the idea behind this is that you've got Jesus on the stage with the chisel and the hammer, and you've got the other guy. He's having this conversation with God. God says, I want to mold you and shape you into what I created you to be. But you've got all these jagged edges, and I want to chip those off. I want to shape you into the creation that I've purposed for you to be. Is it going to hurt? Well, yeah, it's probably going to hurt. And so he starts hammering away at these hard pieces. It's just this idea of this picture of there are hard things in life that we go through, difficulties that are testing periods of life. They can serve to destroy you if you let them, or they can serve to form you if you let them. You have the choice. You can allow it to victimize you, or you can allow it to form you into a person who becomes a victor over those things. Okay? Remembering the past can bring things into focus. Have you ever said uh, this phrase? Oh, hindsight is 2020. I wish present sight was 2020. Don't you? I think present sight can be 2020 if we're using the right lens to look through. Right? Oftentimes, though, in my humanness, I look through human eyes at human situations and come up with human solutions which don't always fix the problem or rarely ever do. But if I look through the lens of God and I see things from his perspective, if I look at things through his word and his truth, oftentimes it brings perfect clarity. It doesn't look like the right solution all the time because God's solutions are somewhat upside down to the world's solutions. But if I'm looking through the right lens, in the right way, at the things that God is showing me, there is truth that can be revealed that can be transformative for my life. He may point out things in your life that are hindering him, or hindering you from him, or hindering him getting to you. He may be pointing out things in your life that you've been carrying like an albatross throughout the years up to this point in time that it becomes so attached to you that yes, it would be painful for it to be extracted, but you would be free from it. Call it unforgiveness, bitterness, resentfulness, whatever the case is, these things don't have to harbor ill will towards you anymore. They don't have to be a weight on you that crushes you. I see people in the church who should be free indeed because of, the, because of Jesus Christ. But instead, they're weighted down by so many things. I believe in a God who delivers. He delivered the Israelites out of bondage and slavery in Egypt in a way that nobody could have comprehended. And yet we don't think or believe he can deliver us from the things we struggle with and are in bondage to. You don't have to be addicted to drugs or alcohol to be in bondage. You can be in bondage to any number of things that hinder your relationship with God. The second thing that remembering the past does for us, remembering the past can remind you of where you've come from, but it can also be an indicator of where you're going. Okay? What do I mean by that? 
Hindsight being 2020, I can look back across the course of my 40 plus years and see a myriad of different experiences that have helped to shape me into the person I am, for good or for bad, okay? And I can, uh, I can play into those things, or I could, I could get, let those things give me perspective, okay? I can allow the past to define me, or I can allow the past to help shape me and mold me for the future, I know a lot of people that allow the past to define them. I know some people that have had physical or sexual abuse done to them when they were kids or teenagers or even adults for that matter. And they carry the weight around. You can't forget. But can you, can you be released from that? Yes. One of the hardest things to do is to forgive the one who has caused you such pain. But see, this is the greatest tool of the enemy, to get you convinced that if you carry that weight of unforgiveness, that you're doing the right thing. If you let it go, and it's not easy, trust me, If you let it go, you don't allow the enemy to continue to control you anymore. I've said this before, and you've probably heard it. This isn't original to me. I didn't come up with this. But holding unforgiveness in your heart towards somebody else is like drinking poison, expecting it to hurt the other person. It's really what it is. You can't control the other person, but you can control you. Tell that to my kids all the time. They made me do it. They made me do it. Do you ever hear that? It's not my fault. It's, this is the blame game that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. Right? It's the serpent that made me do it. No, 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 no. It's the woman you gave me. And basically, it boils down to, God, you're the one that's the problem. If we want to be honest. See, we scapegoat everybody and everything because we don't want to take ownership of our own issues and our own behavior. When we can come to the full reality of taking ownership of our own issues, we aren't defined by our past, but we can be reminded of who's been with us and walked through us or walked with us through our past. And he says, Listen, I've got a better way. What? He's the way, the truth, and the life, right? John 14, verse 6. I know the way. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful at times. God never promised us an easy walk or an easy run to the finish line. But he did promise us he'd be with us, that he'd never forsake us, that he'd be there championing us at the finish line too, like a good parent. I know you could do this. Come on, it's hard. It's the end of the race. You got this. I see you coming. Come on, put everything into it. You can do this. Do you view God that way? See, God is your biggest cheerleader. How do I know that? Because everything I read in Scripture points to this being the reality. Well, he's a God of wrath, a God of justice. He strikes down people who demean him or bad, do bad things. Only as a last resort. And don't push him. (laughs) You ever had a parent tell you that? Don't you you push me. Parents usually are pretty patient, long-suffering. 
God is even more so. See, one of the things we don't read in Scripture is that when we think he's a God of meanness and wrath and hatefulness, we don't realize there are centuries that lapse before he brings judgment. See, we read from one sentence to the next, and we may go over 40 years of time in two sentences. But we read it like it's just one day to the next. And like God's up there with his pistols ready to get us when we step across that line. Oh, see, boom, boom, knocking us down at each turn. See, one of the things we need to realize when we read Scripture, it covers a vast period of time. I'll give you an example. David was anointed king over Israel while Saul, King Saul, the first king of Israel, was still on the throne. How long did it take after David's anointing for him to ascend the throne over Israel? Hmm? About 10 years. That's a long time, really, if you think about it. Think of 10 years in your life. Where were you 10 years ago? Right? What were you doing 10 years ago? Now think, 10 years ago, you were anointed to be president of the United States, but you gotta wait 10 years. And you gotta be patient. And you've gotta not hate the one who's in power and authority on the throne. Can you do it? See, one of the things we don't realize is how much time elapses and how much patience God has toward us. Okay? Last but not least, Learning from the past can keep us on track for the future. Learning from the past. You've heard the old adage, if you don't learn from the past, you're doomed to repeat it, right? And there's some truth in that. Dr. Warren Wearsby writes, Do not say, why were the former days better than these? And do not move ahead by constantly looking in a rearview mirror. The past is a rudder to guide you, not an anchor to drag you. We must learn from the past, but not live in the past, he writes. See, Paul wants us to remember, not Paul, excuse me, Moses wants us to remember in Numbers chapter 9. He wanted the Israelites to remember the second Passover meal a year later. The memory was relatively still fresh in their minds. Remember a year ago where you were. You were standing on the banks of the sea with the Egyptian soldiers and their chariots pressing in behind you. There was no way out. You were cornered. Your back was against the wall. It looked like doom and gloom. But God, through Moses, parts the sea of water so that they could go across onto dry ground. Moses and God did not want the Israelites to forget those moments. He wanted it to stay fresh in their memory. And the way to do that was to institute this festival, this celebration of the Passover meal that they were to celebrate every year at the same time. And to remember what God had done for them, not as a way for God to say, look what I did for you, pat me on the back, but as a way to say, Look what I did for you because I love you. And yes, though it's all about God, God is all about us, and his concern for us is that we focus on him. 
You will never overcome anything in this life when your focus is on the problem. Your focus has to be on him who has the solutions to your problems. But just like Peter walking on the wind and the waves out to Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, he got his focus off Christ. He began to sink in the water because he was looking at the problem and not at Christ. And therein lies the problem for many in our churches today, or let's say for even our culture. The enemy is a great deceiver. He's good at getting us off our game and get us focused on the wrong things, which seem like the right things at the time. Be careful. This is why Jesus says you need to be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. You know what he's instructing his disciples to be? You need to watch like a hawk what's going on around you. You need to test everything that's happening around you through the lens of the word of God. Because not everything that looks like me is me. There are wolves in sheep's clothing and they will devour you. They will eat you up. Some of you are being devoured right now by your circumstances, situations, maybe even by your past. Maybe it's not a current circumstance or situation, but because of something that happened in your past, which you wish had never happened but did, you're chained to it. You've got to find a way to allow God to deliver you from that. And, it, and it's not going to happen alone. You can't do it alone. Let me close with this as our worship team comes forward. <clears throat> Famed author and philosopher and historian Alexander Solzhenitsyn. You ever heard of the guy? He's dead and gone now. He was actually imprisoned uh, in USSR, which is Russia before it became Russia, really. Communist Russia. He was in the gulags. He was thrown into prison for not doing what he was told by the government. And he wasn't doing anything really improper or wrong or bad. He just wasn't doing it the government way. And so as he's there, he was a prisoner in the Soviet prison in Siberia. That's where you'd get sent. The real bad prisoners, you'd get sent to Siberia. He became so weak while he was in prison, so discouraged that he wished he would die. The guards would beat and usually kill anyone that stopped working. And if you were in a prison like this, you were a worker in a prison. You were were in chain gangs and all of these kind of things. You were forced labor is what it was. And he knew he'd gotten so weak, so discouraged, so down that he just wanted to die. Death would be better than what he was experiencing. So he knew that if he stopped working, they would beat him and more than likely kill him in the process. So he decided to stop working so that the guards would kill him. And as soon as he did so, another Christian drew a cross where Alexander could see it. Alexander said he was so encouraged by this, by remembering that God gives hope and courage even in the most desperate situations in life that he decided to continue working because of a Christian who cared enough to not let him give up. So I say you can't do this alone. 
God said it's not good for man to be alone, and oftentimes we associate that with husband and wife, but he created us to live in community together. Not alone. One of the, one of the most devastating things I've experienced in, in, in all of my years of ministry is this, is that when somebody slips and falls, digresses, sins, does whatever, what's the first thing they do when they've been a part of the church? They stay home. They isolate. See, this is the enemy's greatest tool, is to isolate you, make you think that you're not worth it. He reminds you of your past. See, God wants you to remember your past and what he's brought you from and what he's willing to take you toward as long as you're willing to surrender your life to him. The question is, are you? But the enemy likes you to remember your past so that you can stay in bondage to it. There's a big, big difference. See, when we forget the past and our purpose for living, we become desperate and depressed. However, when we live a life connected with God through Jesus Christ and faith and belief in him, no matter how desperate we become, we know that God is good, that he's ultimately in control, and that he will bring something amazing out of our difficult circumstances. Like Moses instructing the Israelites to celebrate the Passover once again in the wilderness, God calls us to remember and to celebrate his provisions and his promises in our wilderness experiences. And we've all had them. I don't know where you are today, what you brought into this place, what your history is, but I do know there's a God who knows all of that and more about you. And even decides to do this. I still love you. I still welcome you into this relationship. Some of you have never made that relationship a reality. You've had somebody preach the gospel. You've heard the message. You know this God and this Jesus guy, but you're, it's just not for me. You see, what I know is it's not for you until the moment strikes and you realize, I have nowhere else to go. Don't let it get to that point, right? Because that point could be too late. But I also know there are some of you that have made that decision for Christ and you're wrestling and struggling against the enemy. Yeah, that's where our battle is. It's not flesh and blood. That's what Paul tells us. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It feels like it. Because man, I... I get exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally. It feels physical, but the reality is it's spiritual. But the enemy wants us to believe it's physical so we don't focus on praying against the spiritual. If we don't pray against the... See, here's the thing, and I said this not too long ago. The enemy can have no more control over you than you allow him to have. He never makes anybody do anything that they don't willingly commit to. You have more power and authority over the enemy than you give yourself credit for, but it's your choice. When you convince yourself that you can't do something that seems impossible, the reality is you can't. But with God, all things are possible. So this morning... We have altars up front, and yes, they are traditional, 
I remember thinking back when I was younger, oh, let's get rid of all the traditional elements. As I'm growing older, I realize there's value in tradition, just like the Passover, because they help us to remember that sometimes we physically need a place to go and to lay burdens down. Again, I fought within myself to get rid of these early on. I'm glad we didn't. Because there's something about stepping out of physically where you are and making a physical step in the direction to Christ. It can be embarrassing. It can be nerve-wracking. But God says, listen, I don't want you to be embarrassed of me in front of people. This isn't a shame. I'm not trying to shame or guilt you into this. But if you truly feel the Holy Spirit working on you and you know that he is there and he's saying, listen, I want you to come to me. All you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Do it. There's nothing magical about walking down here. You can pray where you are. God still hears you there. But if you want to make that step, somebody will pray with you if you come to my right, your left. Those of you at home, please know we're praying with you and for you in spirit, though we can't be there personally. Those of you here, if you want to come to my left, your right, nobody's going to bother you over here. You pray, do your reckoning with God, and we'll leave you alone. But if you want somebody to pray with you, come to my right, your left. With that, let me say a word of prayer over you. Heavenly Father, the men and women, teenagers, young adults in this place today aren't here, aren't here by accident. <laughs> They're here on purpose. They got up this morning, they got ready, they stepped into this place. I pray that as they've been here for the music and the message and even the fellowship, that God, they've seen a glimpse of who you are. They've seen a glimpse of who you are to the point that God has drawn them closer to you. That it's caused a transformation in heart and mind and soul. I pray, God, that no one would leave this place unchanged by the prompting of your Holy Spirit. Continue to help us to remember the past, but not be bound to it. Help us to remember and learn from the past and to grow from it and to remember that you are with us through each step of the way. Guide and shape us into new creations each and every day as we deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.